Thank you, Asha. So I have a difficult task. Uh, at the, almost it's not the end, but uh, the last day of the meeting to get you excited. So I will try. This is my conflict of interest. So um, I just would like to talk about what will happen in the next year or the next two years that uh, for me are very exciting as far as new clinical trials. And uh, I have separated all these uh, trials and studies in three different parts. First, what about improving care? Then I will uh, talk about cure. Are there some ongoing studies looking at cure? And uh, the topic in which I am mostly interested now that I will briefly allude to is uh, prediction and prevention. So what about care? This was a situation in 2012. It was quite easy because basically we had one biologics and of course combotherapy was doing better than monotherapy and we got this um, beautiful endoscopy killing. The situation in 2019, and this has been discussed at length during this meeting, is that we have now different biologics. We have small molecules coming. And of course, the problem is about positioning. And this is the biggest question that we have to face. So, so far, we are using what is in, on, on this slide. We are using basically our clinical nose, like uh, looking at severity, comorbidity, um, practicality, the price, and so on. So it's not really evidence-based. So this is, uh, to me, one of the most exciting studies that will be uh, presented, I guess, next year, because this is the first head-to-head -head study ever in IBD comparing two biologics. This is a, a varsity study where patients uh, with ulcerative colitis will be randomized to receive either vedolizumab IV compared to adalimumab sub-Q. And this is a huge study, more than 700 patients, and the primary endpoint would be the proportion of, of uh, patients achieving clinical remission at week 52. So we really look forward to this study. I hope it will be presented uh, next year, maybe at ECHO or at DDW or both, because this basically is the first study uh, in IBD. So um, this is a slide which looks a little bit um, disappointing. What I have done here is basically to plot all the data, all the results of pivotal Crohn's disease trial in anti-TNF naive population using what I call anchoring. What do I mean? The point is that all those trials, remember, you include patients in the induction arm and then you randomize the responders and you look at remission in responders but you are not really looking at remission from the overall population that was included. And if you do this exercise, actually it's kind of a little bit sobering because this is what you can obtain with our best uh, drugs, the biologics. So my point is that there is huge need for optimization. 
and there are many studies that are looking at optimization. I believe that those um, studies are targeting one of these three pillars of IBD care. I strongly believe that when, if you are using the current drugs that we have, respecting these three pillars, which are early intervention, the concept of treat to target, and the concept of tie control and involving the patients. With the drugs that we have today, we can basically control more than 70% of patients. So the tie control study uh, that we published uh, last year is a CAN study showing basically that you escalate biologics, in that case it was adalimumab, based on biomarkers, which were calprotectin and CRP, instead of just clinical management, at one year, you have much more patients in clinical and endoscopic remission. This is a primary endpoint, which was endoscopic remission. The question that one may ask, does that matter? Nobody has ever shown that being in deep remission at one year is doing something in the long term. And this is a question that will be answered this year because we have, be, we have been able to follow all those patients for more than four years and we will present some data next year as well showing the impact of tight control and deep remission at one year on the progression of Crohn's disease. This basically is the first disease modification trial in Crohn's disease that will be ever presented even though it's not prospective for the last part. There is this very important study as well, which is looking, uh, it's a kind of treat-to-target study, it's a REACT-2 study. Basically, the patients, not the patient, but the practices, it's a cluster randomized trial. So meaning that some gastroenterologists in some practices are just using their step-up approach based on clinical symptoms, why some in other practices are using an enhanced care algorithm where they are stepping up based on clinical data and endoscopy, meaning that if the patient is not in endoscopic healing, then he is escalated. And the primary endpoint, again, is the risk of complications. So it's a very important study as well because it will answer the question if we are targeting endoscopy instead of clinical management, is this associated with better long-term outcomes? So this is a way of optimizing. Something else that I strongly believe in as well is the possibility of combining biologics. This is a slide from a review that we published uh, earlier this year showing the different combination of biologics that has been used in different immune-mediated diseases. So you have, for instance, rheumatologic condition in orange, you have a skin disease in blue, and as you can see, our colleagues rheumatologists have already explored this combination of biologics a lot. For instance, using a combination of anti-TNF with abatacept, combination with rituximab, and so on and so forth. So far, we have no prospective study combining biologics in IBD. 
So the first study that we have started uh, last year, two years ago, is called the Explorer Study. And I hope we'll get the result next year uh, as well. This is a phase four open-label multi-center uh, study. It's not a control study. It's just a pilot proof-of-concept study where we are combining vedolizumab IV, adalimumab sub-Q, and oral methotrexate over 26 weeks. And then, after uh, 26 weeks, we are uh, continuing maintaining the patients on vedolizumab monotherapy plus methotrexate for a certain time. So, of course, it's not randomized, but I think it will give us a good uh, idea about the safety first and about the efficacy as well. For instance, if we observe something like amazing as far as endoscopy killing or deep uh, remission, meaning clinical remission and endoscopic remission, this will be the first data showing that in early Crohn's disease, these are all early Crohn's disease, naive of all biologics, this strategy may be effective and improve our results. The um, other way to improve our results is, of course, to optimize the dosing. And as you know, there are a lot of arguments suggesting that the sub-Q uh, anti-TNF may be underdosed. This is why um, uh, AVI has started these two uh, serine studies, which is called serine UC and serine Crohn disease, where uh, two uh, induction re regimens are compared. The uh, classical one, which is 160 and 80, and a high induction regimen, which is 160 every week during four weeks, a kind of loading dose. And we will see if this loading dose is more effective than the classical induction. The second interest of this uh, study is that in the maintenance arm, we will compare uh, adalimumab every other week, weekly, and uh, adalimumab based on drug levels. So it will also explore the concept of proactive drug monitoring that we have discussed a lot during this meeting. Proactive monitoring so far is very discussed. And as you know, the two prospective studies which have looked at proactive monitoring, meaning treating to target uh, levels instead of treating to symptoms, have been negative. The TAXID study and the Telorix study. We believe that actually the, the monitoring should be done very early because the induction dose is the most important. And this is the optimized trial that has been designed by Marla Dubinsky and Diane Mould, where patients with moderate to severely active Crohn's disease will be started on infliximab. On the left side, you have the classical induction regimen, and then the uh, patient will be escalated based on clinical uh, relapse and monitoring as well of the drug levels. But on the right-hand side, this is the most interesting arm because the optimization will be, will be done upfront based on a PK model that has been designed by Diane Mould and uh, using a maximum infliximab dosing of 10 milligrams per kick to uh, avoid any infliximab trough level lower than 25 at week two or lower than 17 at week six. 
because based on Diane Mould uh, algorithm, we believe that the most important is a loading dose, is a early drug monitoring. And then the optimization um, following week uh, 14 will be also based on this PK model. So this will be the first proactive uh, therapeutic drug monitoring study, but doing drug monitoring from induction and not from week 14, which was done in Telorix and which was a failure. This is something that we are looking, we are all looking at, is a search for endotypes. What do I mean by endotypes? We believe that IBD are very heterogeneous, and an endotype is a subtype defined by distinct functional or pathobiological mechanisms. It's more than a phenotype. It's a characteristic or trait of a disease, such as morphology, biochemical, or physiological properties or behavior, without implication of mechanism. So, together with genetic and environmental factors, the endotypes can explain the clinical presentation, epidemiology, and the difference in the response to treatments. So, identifying endotype in IBD could help to stratify IBD towards precision medicine. And the quest for uh, endotype is lagging as compared to cancer. This is what they are already doing in cancer, as you know. The cancer management in kids and adult patients is already enriched with personalization. Identification of specific mutation or mutation-specific therapies through DNA sequencing, functional imaging, and integrative omic measurements. In IBD, basically, we have nothing. So, we have nothing so far proven. We have a lot of hypotheses. These are all um, markers, different markers that have been proposed to define endotypes in IBD patients. Genetic markers, clinical markers, transcriptomic markers, microbiome or proteomic. But so far, it's hypothesis-driven. It's only retrospective associations, very often clinically not applicable and not validated. So this is a very interesting study that uh, has started in UK based on this paper published by uh, uh, Lee in uh, 2011 in GCI. Basically, uh, using blood qPCR, they were able to uh, identify um, transcriptome of CD8 T cells that were able to predict response or non-response to anti-TNF. And as you can see, you have two different types, the IBD1 or the IBD2 transcriptome type. And when you look at the response to anti-TNF, on the bottom, it's clearly different. So what the, um, our uh, colleagues from UK are now doing is this very interesting study, which is called the profile study, predicting outcome for Crohn's disease using a molecular biomarker. These are newly diagnosed Crohn's disease, active disease, no immunosuppressive treatments, and they are randomized based on their expression profile of their CD8. And then there are two different arms, and uh, they are randomized in both arms to uh, step up or 
top-down. And the primary endpoint will be the sustained uh, steroid and surgery-free remission at one year. So this is a first prospective study that will try to personalize the IBD care and the use of uh, infliximab in patients with Crohn's disease. We have heard a lot also during this meeting about FMT, and as you know, there are several studies now published in uh, UC. This is maybe the biggest uh, study, which is a study from Australia, the FOCUS uh, study, which was uh, strongly positive, using very intensive fecal transplants, one fecal transplant through colonoscopy, then enema every day during uh, eight weeks, five days a week, And then this is a primary endpoint, which was clinical remission and endoscopic response, which was strongly positive. So the point is that how can we optimize this FMT? And the idea is that can we identify bacteria within the stools which are associated with remission? And this is what we have started to do in collaboration with our uh, Australian colleagues. So we got all the stools from donors and receivers in order to look in patients who were cured or not cured, what strains were enriched in cured patients and what strains were enriched in patients not cured. And these are the data which have just been published uh, two days ago in a gastroenterology, so showing that there are some specific uh, strains which are associated with good results. For instance, a bacterial HALI is associated with uh, improved efficacy of FMT, while there are some uh, bugs like Fusobacteria and Suturella, especially when present in receivers, which are strong predictors of non-response to FMT. So the point is that using this data, we are now trying to design personalized FMT to refine this FMT so that we can just use the good bugs and identify the good receivers as well. There are now uh, so some other um, uh, tracks which are used to treat patients with IBD And for instance, diet has been very poorly explored, and maybe we could optimize our therapeutic uh, strategies using these diets. And we uh, are waiting a lot from this uh, DINE study, which is led by uh, Jim Lewis, comparing the carbohydrate-free diet with the Mediterranean diet. I don't know when the results will be available, maybe uh, next year, the preliminary data. Something else which is coming in US, but I'm very sad to say this is like three years after Europe, is this new approach of stem cell therapy. I've been involved in the development of this fat stem cell therapy uh, to treat the fistula, the perianal fistula in Crohn's disease, and I can tell you this is working very, very well. So basically what you do with, it, uh, with this uh, uh, stem cell, the surgeon is closing the internal opening of the fistula, then he's doing a curtage of the fistula tract and injecting the fat stem cell all along the fistula tract. And look at the data, it's amazing. These are short-term data and long-term data at one year. More than 50% of patients have their fistula closed. 
This basically is the first breakthrough regarding the treatment of fistula since infliximab. So what about cure? Cure means no disease and no treatments. And there are trials exploring this concept of cure. They are, actually, they are done in Europe. This is the first study that uh, we are uh, running in Europe, which is called the SPARE study, which basically is a kind of a prolongation of the STORY study. So what we are doing is to randomize patients who are in remission on anti-TNF and immunosuppressors, most often thiopurines, but remember, story was not randomized. Here we are randomizing patients to continuing combo, stopping the anti-TNF or stopping the anti-metabolites. And we are exploring also another concept, which is the concept of recycling meaning that if a patient stops anti-TNF and relapse, we will try to recycle. So we have currently enrolled 200 patients in this study, and I hope the, the data will be uh, ready for uh, next year, maybe end of next year. The concept of stopping is also explored in this very ambitious study from the JETED, which is called the CURE study. The point is that, uh, as a rheumatologist, we believe that maybe if we hit the disease very strongly from the beginning, not after four or five years, from the beginning, then maybe we will be able to stop. So this is a prospective study in naive patients, early patients with Crohn's disease, who are starting on adalimumab monotherapy, and as you can see along the time, they are looking at uh, different parameters such as clinical parameters, MRI and coloscopy. And at different points in time, if the patients are in deep remission, then the adalimumab is stopped. And of course, there is possibility to rescue if the, if the patient is uh, failing. So this is the first study that will explore this concept of curing, meaning stopping the Umira in that case, in patients who have been started very early with the most intensive, I mean with an intensive treatment with the biologics. And the primary objective is sustain deep remission at two years in patients who stopped adalimumab at one year. Finally, the last concept uh, in which I'm most excited about is the concept of prediction and prevention. This is explored a lot by our colleagues in endocrinology and rheumatology. For instance, this is a slide uh, looking at type 1 diabetes, and as you, can, as you know, you, you, you can think about uh, prevent onset of uh, autoimmunity, stop uh, autoimmune attack, preserve, replace the beta cells, improve glucose control, restore beta cell function, and then basically stop the progression and the onset of the disease. And this is the real cure. The point is that if you want to do this, you have to make the uh, diagnosis or to detect the patients before the first clinical symptom. Otherwise, I believe it's too late. So IBD, like uh, diabetes, like rheumatoid arthritis, have a preclinical phase. 
We know that a long, long time before the first symptom, there are changes in the mucosa of patients, especially with Crohn's disease. There are uh, immunological changes, there are changes in, the mi in their microbiome. So the, the goal is uh, to detect these very early changes so that we can predict the onset of IBD and maybe in the future prevent. So this is a predict study that uh, we are currently doing, which is running with the U.S. Army. To make a long story short, in the U.S. Army, all soldiers were enrolled. They have basically a clinical exam, and they give blood, and they give blood every two years. And of course, among this huge population of recruits, some of them will get IBD, some of them will get diabetes, and so on and so forth. So it's a unique resource because you can have access to pre-diagnosis samples up to six years, ten years before the first symptom. And this is what we have been uh, doing with the U.S. Army. So we have collected uh, samples from 200 patients with Crohn's disease, UC and controls, and we have started by looking at antimicrobial antibodies and some proteomic markers at different points in time, at diagnosis, two years before, four years before, and six years before. And these, I think, are kind of amazing data. On the bottom, you, ca you can see the predictive uh, performance of the serological markers. In the middle, the somalogic marker, which are proteins. And so on the right-hand side, the combination. And as you can see, I'm, I'm not sure you can see the different curves, but basically we can, just with these antimicrobial antibodies and proteomic markers, predict the onset of Crohn's disease five years before the first symptom with an area under curve of approximately 0.8, which is the first uh, step in uh, basically predicting Crohn's disease. And I'm sure we'll be able to improve this data. Interestingly, on the top, you have the somalogic marker, which are the proteins in red on the left-hand side, which are basically present a long time before the first symptoms. And based on this protein, we can identify pathways that look activated in Crohn's disease, and all those pathways point to the innate immune system, complement pathway, and glycosylation, meaning that this is what is occurring very early in the course of Crohn's disease, long term, up to five and six years before the first symptom. Strikingly, we are not able to predict ulcerative colitis at all using these tools. So, this is a summary of what I believe will be the most exciting in the next year or two years. And uh, stay tuned for something awesome. Thank you.